Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, everyone. Today's guest and co-host is the amazing Billy Zane, who you know from quite a few boat movies, including The Big One That Sank, and recently as the delightful villain Brigadier Commander Enos Queef in MacGruber. I could not adore Billy more. Our unqualified segment begins with a call from Adam, who is looking for some inspiration and practical advice as he goes about changing aspects of his life. Next, we talk with Ariana, who, after being cheated on in a previous relationship, is beginning to see red flags in the man she's currently dating. As always, thank you for listening to our podcast. If you have a question and would like to talk with us, we would love to hear from you. Just look for the link at unqualified.com. Ladies and gentlemen, you are listening to Unqualified with your host, Anna Ferris. Billy, I am really excited about MacGruber. <laughs> I tried to memorize your character's name to impress you, but I didn't get that far. I can't say it without laughing. We were doing a press junket, and I was with my dear friend, one of my oldest, Lawrence Fishburne, whose character's name is, I can't say it, Fasus, and I am Queeth. And without <laughs> fail, no matter who, who says Fasus, or Queeth with a straight face, we are reduced to jello pudding. Aren't you like Sergeant Commander? Brigadier. There's a brigadier in there. There's a commander in there. There's a lot of official military <gasps> prefix to my Queeth. But my first name is Enos. <laughs> so Commander Brigadier Enos Queeth. You got a problem with that? <laughs> I sure don't. No, I love it. I envy it, actually. I love it. I never really had it seen like in Stitch. I wanted to see it embroidered on something. All right. Can you work on that? Can can your people work on that? Yeah, no problem. (laughs) Billy, so I was reading an interview that you had given for MacGruber, and you were talking about the concept of like not winking at the audience and playing a straight character, which is right up my alley. Will you tell us about that philosophy? Because it is something that I think it's trickier than one would think. Do you think I'm correct? I think you are most correct. It was painful to resist my inherent love of shtick and playing serious, but knowing you're in a comedy and inherently find reactions that might ride the line. And the MacGruber universe has such a dervish at its center that the world around him must be completely sane and stable in order for him to really flourish. And I was a huge fan of the sketch of the initial movie. And when they called to see if I could, you know, join the party, I couldn't pack quick enough, you know, but only to find I had to play such a dead straight serious foil, which was wonderful and really fun. As you know from experience, sincerity is key. It's critical. You can go as outrageous as you want, but you have to be rooted in sincerity. I was very fortunate to 
have sharpened my teeth with a theater company here. When I first moved from Chicago, I came to Los Angeles in around 19, God, 86, found myself in the fortunate good company of members of the Actors Gang in its early incarnation, which was a theater company that Tim Robbins had started with the wonderful actor and writer, Ebby Rose Smith. I think Tim started it out of UCLA. And early members were John Cusack and Piven and Ned Bellamy and Ebby. And anyway, it's based on Commedia dell'arte. So it was Italian theater of sweat and flying props and mask work and absolute absurdity rooted in archetype of the Harlequin and the General and Capitano and the Fishwife and all these great kind of pantomime archetypes, which provided an architecture to adhere to. Men would play women, women would play men. It was lots of grease paint, literally, and fat pads and crazy costumes, all to this kind of drum beat that Tim would do in order to make entrances and exits. But you had to be grounded in absolute conviction and sincerity, no matter what you were proposing. You had to move between five emotions of happy, sad, angry, scared on a dime, on a drumbeat, from the height of one emotion to the height of another, which is why you see in the work of people like Jack Black, who just started in there and excelled so wonderfully within the group. And now you see it in his work, this insane truth and conviction and absolute belief and gravitas to the most ridiculous things he does while turning these emotions from fear to joy to, that's all style, they called it. And I'm so grateful to have practiced in it and cut or sharpened my teeth on it before getting to go do some kind of interesting early film work that curiously benefited from it. I still draw upon it today. And they're a wonderful theater company that you can go see do a number of really amazing shows now. A really incredible company. You can look at their archive as well on YouTube, The Actors Gang. I attribute much to them and another teacher, Jeremiah Comey, who also brought it in. My husband reminded me this morning about how brilliant you are in Dead Calm. Oh, bless him. That's a great compliment coming from one so talented. It is a brilliant movie. Do you get to talk about that boat movie ever? I get it. Throw a rock, you hit a boat. It's like me and boats, just bad water. I did a boat movie as well. Overboard. You did it over. That was a fabulous boat movie. A classic. It swept away. (laughs) So you grew up in Chicago. That's right. Will you tell us about your childhood, what you think that community gave to you, what your parents gave to you. Absolutely. With pleasure. I grew up in the city, which was wonderful because I had pretty immediate access to some of the best theater and art and culture afforded the Midwest, if not the nation, some of the best, really. And my parents were on stage. They were professional stage actors in the city growing up, and they had a community and contingent of just hep-kept beatnik, thus the black sweater, I guess, it kind of carried over. Yeah. You're carrying it too. I'm imagining incredible dinner parties that you witnessed. Dinner parties, a lot of time on the beach. Chicago is a kind of an unexpected Riviera town, believe it or not. It's a great lake. It looks like an ocean and the park is the great equalizer. The lakefront, whatever your station or access is, everyone gets the park. I love the city great civic planning. But we would have a lot of parties, bike rides with folks. One of the theaters they worked at was on the lake called 
theater on the lake. <laughs> so I grew up watching my parents do like Neil Simon and, and The Rainmaker. And it was theater in the round. And my mother jokes, my debut is when I wandered onto the stage from the floor seating, seeing mom and dad and got a big laugh from the audience and kind of turned and she says, apparently I liked it. You know, I was like, oh, this is kind of nice audience response. I wonder what production it was. Ah, uh, That's a very good question I should ask. I think it was Plaza Suite or like Rainmaker. So yeah, grew up watching them on stage. They then started a business. They're always educators to some degree or involved in schools. My mother was worked with a kind of a hybrid modeling agency. She was pretty enough to be one of their clients, but she always dug the admin called Patricia Stevens. And she was just recounting this strangely about how they were teaching women to be model women, not just models. But it was all about understanding etiquette and presentation and deportment and just like really just how to carry yourself in this world. And that carried over. Those things were prescient, were available in my mind. She then went on to start a medical vocational school in the allied health field in the late 70s. And that they did that for years. They were in the arts. My aunt was a drama teacher at school. You asked about school. I went to Hardy Prep, part of the Sacred Heart School, to the fifth grade. And then I went to Francis Parker School, which was a really wonderful, is a really wonderful private school in the city. They consider it one of the best, creating a uh, embryonic democracy and uh, made you very cognizant of social contract. It was cool. How old were you when you first fell in love? Were you like a romantic? Oh, entirely. I think having classic cinema do as much of the heavy lifting as my immediate family and parents who were cinephiles and exposed us to the MGM canon early on and would make a point of doing triple feature marathons, even on a Sunday night. You know, their priorities were very, <laughs> were wonderful. Well, being educators, they were kind of cinema hedonists and really went for it and we would love trying to chase great movies around the city. How many can we fit in together in a day? Boy, that was an off-ramp. What was the question? I, I'm trying to... Oh, well, are you a romantic? A romantic, yes. So I had my first kind of ice cream date with, I believe her name was Maria. I think it was the third grade. And she was very beautiful. I remember that was my first kind of whatever, formal I want to ask this girl out for ice cream. The parent, it was like a play date, I guess we call them today. But my kind of long-standing crush through school and high school or grade school was Nastasia Kinski. I remember seeing cat people and you know, having the poster on the wall. I had the Avedon and the snake. There was something about that short 80s cut and that European quality and which I came to learn was reminiscent of Sophia Loren. And I just was really into the kind of exotic European at an early stage. I think that probably was programming from the early Bond films. The Bond girl, the European woman was like, you know, all curves and accent and, you know, super overdubbed. Uh -huh. Just that exotic kind of thing. So it was like Nastasia Kinski and Tina Louise from Gilligan's Island. Ginger. I love it. Ginger, huh? Those are my big crushes. And then, all right. then Ursula Andress. And the crazy thing is I had the pleasure of finally meeting Ursula Andress, who is still smoking hot. 
and Nastasia Kinski. And I actually got to work with Nastasia Kinski, which is kind of funny. Careful what you wish for. Right. I think my whole career was built upon the idea that the only way I'm going to meet her is to go to Hollywood and become an actor. <laughs> right. Like right. that was my purely my only motivation was just like, no, I want to meet Nastasia. And we did. We did a film together. It was kind of crazy. Did you have a high school girlfriend? In school, no. Out of school, yes. It seemed a little incestuous at school. I had like 60 people in my graduating class. It seemed a little too close to home. Uh I tended to be attracted to slightly older women. So, you know, I had a wonderful kind of brief romance with someone who I had seen at school, left class immediately. I really hope it's somebody's mom. She was looking for a teaching job. (gasps) No way! She was actually interviewing for a teaching job. Yes! And, oh my God. and I chased her. I left the campus. I chased her out of school and went to across the street was a yogurt store called Humphrey Yogurt, I remember. And at Humphrey Yogurt, I just invited her to coffee or whatever. And we ended up meeting and she didn't get the job, thank God. And she was like in her 20s and was beautiful and smart and then turned me on to Carlos Castaneda and gave me great books. And a wicked mixtape back when you do mixtapes. And, sure, you know, yeah. so it turned me on to a lot of cool post-punk. She was a really great love. It was brief, but set me on the course of great literature and really good musical taste beyond what I had known. And it stuck. It wet my appetite for neuroconsciousness frontier and great rock and roll. Did she break your heart or is that being too dramatic? No, it's not. You know, again, I blame it on the movies. I think I would fantasize about breakups rather than relationships Mm -hmm. because you got to feel the pain. I pined for the sax solo in the rain at the phone booth trying Uh to, you know, that level of emotion was far more interesting than, you know, let's decorate the apartment together and get in a paint fight. That was cute, but it was the. You know, Uh the heartstrings upon like reparation or lost love. You must have broken a lot of hearts then. Would you say that you ended most of the relationships you've had? I absolutely had. And I'm feeling the blowback of that, to be honest. Will you elaborate on that? Because I feel like I'm definitely one of the other girls. (laughs) Really? Um, Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. On behalf of all of us. Because I was always drawn, though, to boys and men who felt as you do. Interesting. Was that their reasoning or did they just, did they have issues with commitment? I liked a dramatic guy. (laughs) I wanted to feel the highs and the lows. What do you mean when you say you're sort of feeling the blowback? I mean, I have felt the other side of that coin at a time and in a relationship when it was the last thing I had wanted and it was you know, the closest and most significant to me. So I'm going, okay, it's fair. I, I've got a lot to make up for. So yeah, that was a singular experience. Like the one and only time you may have been heartbroken. Oh, yes, definitely. How did you work through it? Just like time? I don't even know if I am. You know what I mean? It was significant. It is significant. You learn from it. It's what you do. Yes, you do. Just go, okay, that's interesting. Yeah. But you really reflect upon the hearts you may have broken and you know it. You understand it. Yeah. The permanence is a curious topic, you know. They are scars, I believe. They are. My parents were married 67 years, you know. They'd met when they were really young and then they got together when they were 16 and they married in their 20s and waited 
until they had their kids, a bit longer than their generation tended to, and really fed their wanderlust and their love of their relationship and the time. And because they put in the time with each other and traveled and played before just popping out kids and moving to the burbs like half of their friends, Mm -hmm. I think that was a significant foundational imprint upon my journey. I've always chosen lifestyle and waited quite late in life to have children comparatively to my parents and to my friends. And without regret, I absolutely love it. I'm grateful for it. It sounds like you were like a lot of us, like me, wanting your world to expand at a young age. I'm imagining like the first time you went to Europe or something, how it must have been I don't know. I don't know. I'm making assumptions. And they're well-placed. What was yours like? Where did you find yourself in that zone? So I grew up in a small suburb of Seattle. And my parents, like your parents, they met at a very young age. They're still married. My brother and I are both on our third marriages. And we talk about this like, you know... (laughs) It's not supposed to work like this. Like, we are the product of, like, a very happily married couple that was incredibly supportive to both of us. And yet, our conclusion is only this so far. We worked hard at trying to make bad things work. Mm. And we were maybe a little more optimistic, perhaps, entering into a marriage. Especially my first marriage. I was too young. How old were you? 27. I was 21 when I was first married. Really? I was. I was married for eight years. No children. It was wonderful. I think marriage is for the young. It's for the young and it's for the old. I think when you're in your fighting weight and it's time to build a business or a company or go tackle it, I feel you need a partner or a few, (laughs) you know, (laughs) to be honest, who are equally busy (laughs) and you can draw from and support and nurture at a level that you can still focus on yourself to some degree. At least this is my rationalization. But I think marrying for love and almost Shakespearean grade or tribal sense of like when kids grow into, I guess, your legal age to consummate, their hormones are raging and they want to be in love. They want to exercise what it means to be a human at that point, a boy and a girl. And love is... For all the wrong reasons, there's just enough rebellion. Everyone's going to tell you, don't do it. This is a mistake. You're too young. These are the reasons to get married. And there's time. And if it is too young, you can hit reset in your 20s. You can do it five times, three times by that point. But if it lasts like our parents did, then you're together for 100 years. I don't know. I appreciate that you reflect on your early marriage with appreciation. Do you think she feels the same way? And what was sort of the demise? You know, you become a different person between 21 and 27. You're like, I agree. I need to, you know, as I said, in school, I was a late bloomer, was very romantic, but wasn't a player, you know what I mean? And didn't have the community with which to play at that level. You know what I'm saying? It wasn't the circumstance. So the variety of lovers I'd had by that point, by the time I had married, were not vast. You know, as my life and system and chemistry changed by the time I was in my late 20s, I was ready for more, you know. Uh I was like, I love you, but I don't want to break your heart, but I need to answer this call. Of course, I ran right into another relationship because I was going on location for six months and our job is a weird one. It's not like I know you just want to nest in some hotel and work. 
But if I was a civilian, I'd, I'd have probably explored the world of a single man at a time when I was always serially monogamous. I just went into one mini marriage after another. Are you in a relationship now? I am not. And was sort of the loss that you spoke of that recent? It was. It was with the mother of my children. Was it during the pandemic? No. How did the pandemic change you? I like making lemonade. I love challenge. There's something about limitation. I create from a bit of risk. I like holding on loosely. I like the danger of not being, I don't want to say fully prepared. This is part of my preparation. I like constructing a level of risk and responsibility where something has to be excellent. It has to deliver. It has to be timely. I like stacking it because I just work well under pressure. I dig it. And it sparks innovation. And all the ideas go out the window. And I like the improv nature. I liken what we do a little bit to being a baseball player. Mm. There's that moment when you're up to bat and you've just been waiting and waiting and waiting. And I enjoy that element. I feel like I'm an actor who usually, I think, has their best take either the first or second, Mm -hmm. sometimes third. But I love the challenge of bringing it to the table immediately. Right. I love that pressure. I see it in your work. You know, you're brilliant. And you do that because you see the fire, right? You see that the urgency is there. You're a great comedic actress. You're a great dramatic actress. And you got to be a good dramatic actress to be a great comedic actress. It's like they're not mutually exclusive. If I may, not the plug, but when you watch MacGruber, the pathos and the empathy, what Will is mining and Kristen, who's just a genius... I think one of our best actresses working, without question. Totally. Dramatic, the sincerity that they mine and the level of emotion, true emotion, they put behind absolutely ridiculous words is what makes this so modern. It's so punk. It's so cool. Anyway, back to you. I was getting all flustered. You gave me the nicest compliment and thank you. You're welcome. Yes, sincerity of character, I think. Sincerity and danger, Ranger, right? Like a little bit of just keep it spontaneous. So I do that in painting, I do it in acting, perhaps I do it in elements of my life that might not require that, Mm -hmm. which might scare those around me looking for a little bit more of a schedule and routine. And in there probably lies the rub when it comes to successful coupling. Right. So I've learned, I'm going to bring it back to your fundamental question. I was never more productive. Really? Yeah. I was never less productive. Interesting. Interesting. I think I'm entrepreneurial by nature, and I love pattern recognition and things that are normally attributed to other businesses. I love finding solutions and turning deficits into assets. The idea of ingenuity always intrigues me. Yeah. I've had the pleasure of spending the last five or six years in the proximity of the world's greatest engineers and scientists down the street at Caltech University because I wanted to and found a damn good reason to work with them. And that was identifying the thing that they were not particularly good at, which was very rare, but that was storytelling. That's interesting. And I went, I can help with that. Let me help you communicate your theory, theorem, or sell your 
skill set and market it to a community that is completely unaware that this incredible brain trust is just next door to our industry and forged and created a job around it, like manifested it in order to be able to spend time around these geniuses. It was kind of fun. That's amazing. Oh, Billy, I think our first caller might be waiting for us. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Adam, what do you say? Hi, how are you? Oh my God, hi. Holy shit, it's Billy Zane. <laughs> Adam, thank you so much for your letter. And you have an awesome smile. Thank you. So Adam, will you tell us what's going on? Yeah, so what's going on is I'm having kind of trouble in my life right now. I'm 26. I'm just graduating college and I just can't figure out what to do with my life. And I just kind of, all I think about is just wanting to date and move away out of New York. And I really would like to go off to... Colorado or even Washington State. That's where I've been dying to go actually to live because I just love it. I'm an outdoorsy person. I camp, I fish, I hike, I rock climb. And that's just how I want to live. And I just can't seem to push that button forward, I guess. Oh, first of all, I love this. Let's try to push that button. Totally. So wait, what did you major in? What did you study in college? I studied health science and I was going to be a physical therapist. And at the time, I just kind of got sick of school and I kind of wanted to just go out on my own because I also did stand up and I also did a lot of you know film related things in college. And that's all I kind of wanted to do with my life. I just wanted to do stand up and write and get in the industry. And I started rolling the ball a little bit by I had an internship with Vice. I wrote for them a little bit. And that was like, oh, my God, like this is my home. <laughs> like This is the people I love. I love people like this. That's awesome. Yeah. All of those things. Yeah. I love it that you have like dabbled in stand up. I can tell you're super charismatic. Oh, man. Yeah. Stand up was my thing. I loved it. I loved writing, especially in college. It was great. How are you having trouble romantically with this engaging personality? and charming character. You're not shy. No, nah, I'm not shy. You have a variety of great interests. What's the hang-up? I just feel insecure that I'm not good-looking enough and that I have like this, you know, this limiting belief that, you know, girls don't want to be with someone short and, you know, someone that's just not attractive-looking. And it's just getting in the way of things, you know. Would you please flatline that theory immediately, Anna? Because yes, it doesn't exist. Yes. They want funny. 100%. Girls want funny because it means confidence. Trust me, I'm telling you, it has nothing to do with looks. 
at least the keepers. Right. You know what I'm saying? Very true. Yes, for sure. Oh my gosh. And can I just say, you've answered your own question because, and we're going to go back to pattern recognition real quick right now. If you had a whiteboard and you wrote your answers down on them, Uh health sciences, vice, you have production experience, you do stand-up, you want to move to nature. If you drew a line through all of these that you were in the center of them and you self-produced a outdoors adventure movie of a city guy experiencing day one in nature in a 13 episode or 12 in one unscripted series about you going into the outdoors, you would not only touch all of those in one activity, but you would become this desirable object that you want to be in the eyes of so many women. Fascinating. You know, it's like, do everything you're doing. Just film it. Take one meta step back and film the experience. You have all of the experience to create content around your very interest. Yeah. Starring you. Am I wrong? No, I really, really appreciate it. Yeah, the interesting thing is, Mr. Zane or Billy, if I may call you that. No, no, please call me Mr. Zane. (laughs) (laughs) No, Billy's fine. Please go ahead, dude. Sure. You know, what's interesting was I was always into horror as a kid. So I would always write up a bunch of like, you know, screenplays with my friends as a kid. We would film things. We would do various types of different things. And You know, currently, since you brought that up, one of my good friends who just moved back and he was trying to get in the industry himself. So me and him have been just doing some talking about, you know, what if we just filmed a podcast in the woods and like rent out like a cabin and just kind of make it like a woodsy looking feeling and just talk just nonstop about those things and just have a really cool looking setting in order to get something that would look really appealing to the listener and something you get the view. This is awesome. That's what we were thinking about doing now. So I want to get that ball rolling. And like, honestly, I just kind of want to leave my job now and just do that with my life. Well, what do you think if you were to pinpoint one thing in terms of being hesitant about making this move or would it be financial? Would it be family? You know, it's funny, but like, I've never really had that sort of close relationship with my parents. It was We were always, you know, together. We were always close. But you know what like a latchkey kid is? Yeah. I was sort of like that as a kid. Not that I have bad parents. I was always with my friends and we always did things together. We were never really home, you know. I don't know the expression. Can you explain it to me? A latchkey kid is somebody who just kind of not raise themselves, but someone who just likes feeling independent with their friends, like someone who just thinks they can't be stopped from doing something. Right. I don't like someone telling me like what to do and it's a good and a bad thing. So that's how I've always felt. So I always love doing things on my own. And even if I failed, you know, I just felt good. Even if I did fail, you know, at least I learned something from it. At least it was enjoyable. So, yeah. So this is all good news. You're independent. You make friends easily. I feel like you should be on your road trip, you know, headed west. Yeah, right now it's just I'm trying to save some money and I'm just trying to, I think my biggest problem is I get in my own way of like perfecting this idea instead of just doing something. And I just keep thinking of the fantasy, but I'm not doing so much about it. I'm very impatient and I just want things to go perfectly. You know, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah. But this also makes me want to ask you, are the girls you're interested in or when you date, would you describe yourself as a little overly particular? I'm typically not. The thing I think I'm very particular about is I just want someone interesting. I want someone I could talk to. The physical attractiveness matters to a point, but I just want to talk to somebody that I can learn something from. Somebody I could just like 
learn something new from every time I talk to them. I guess what she's asking is, would you be considered, if you have not had the success you've wanted, but they may have been opportunities, could that person have considered you a bit of a control freak? Yes, at points, because I'm definitely very particular about how I do things. So sometimes I come off a little bit perfectionate and a little bit stubborn. That's a turnoff. Yeah. That's a turnoff. That's a red flag and a turnoff to a girl. So that's a big thing to look at if you wanted to try to reverse that flow. Mm-hmm. You got to eat some humble pie or, you know, the mantra is don't say it, don't do it. A little voice <laughs> in your head, whenever it comes up, just don't say it, don't do it. Right. Don't say it, don't do it. Just have that, have right. that voice in your head just to, just to bite your tongue and hold back. I am working on that. We all are. Trust yeah. me. We all are. How much time do you think you'll need to have three or four grand put together to make a move? I just, I'm waiting for the right time, I think. And I think the right time is going to be next month. Oh, good. I'm trying to tell myself, it's just got to be this time. Before I get any older, I have to take a risk now instead of taking a risk when I'm 30 and see what happens. Totally. Can I give you a couple other secrets? Sure. That are often overlooked generationally? Sure. Dress like a man. That's interesting. The infantilization of the male is so pervasive and moronic and bizarre. There's toddlers running around. Grown men who don't realize they're dressing like 10-year-old boys at camp. But this is what passes for clothes. It's a very simple thing to do. Right. You know, style. Just get some, like, cool threads. Just simply, like, some good shoes, man. Some good style. Like, literally, look at classic stuff. Look at people who you kind of admire. Check out those magazines. A lot of the ones out of England. But when you move through life and you're put together... One, you just immediately rush ahead of the school of dudes in sweats or ridiculous shorts or giant Mickey Mouse sneakers. Adam, I'm so one of those dudes. This sweater's misleading. (laughs) No, I get it. Yeah. You know, and women as well. But it will make you feel differently as well. Don't you think? You will. Absolutely. During the pandemic, so I lost about like 60 pounds or so and I stopped. I smoked for a long time. The pandemic was great for me. In a sense that, you know, I just got rid of old habits and I lost the weight and I started amazing. Good for you. Started dressing better. And I can't wait to go shopping. And my I can shop all day now. I love it. I, I enjoy it. Keep that. That shows you have confidence with yourself. There's nothing more masculine than having the confidence to not feel paranoid about taking care of yourself. You know what I mean? Oh my God. Yeah. It's like you're not having to prove anything or compensate. You're really well adjusted. And take care of like in a barbershop or in a salon, get a manicure. Clean nails. Girls like clean hands. They don't want to be touched by a dude who looks like he's nasty, but it's true. Yeah. As you know, probably already, this is the perfect time. You're in your 20s. You're not married. You don't have kids. This is the time to see if you like a change in your life. I'm excited for you. Aren't you excited? I am so excited. I've wanted to be out west for a long time. All of my friends, none of them live in California. They live in the surrounding states like Montana, Idaho, Washington. And I just, I love the lifestyle of it. I like the slowness of it. I'm not like a hustle and bustle type. I don't like them being constantly rushed. (laughs) I, I like taking things slowly. I feel excited. I feel a little scared, but I just want to enjoy that life. It just seems so much fun. I just get to be on my own, get to enjoy myself. I'm like so excited for you. I wonder if we're going to all end this phone call and you're going to feel motivated and then something might hold you back. Do you think that there's a chance of that? There's definitely a chance, but the way I have to look at it now is that, you know, maybe I still have to plan this out because I don't want to come out and not have a plan. But, you know, 
eventually this year or the end of the year, at least I know I'll be out there soon enough. And it's not like I would be pushing this off for a couple of years from now because I know I have to do it and I know it's the right thing to do and I, I have to do it. I think so. And right now it feels like, you know, an itch underneath your cast or something like. Exactly. And I just want to make sure you're, you're able to scratch it. I know you're like a very independent. You're a good talker, but are you a good listener? No, <laughs> that's what I work on now is that is getting better at listening. Another big part of the relationship hurdle. Yeah, that's the, that's one of the big ones. You know, further isolation seems to be your solution in some way. And that's for some folks. Mm -hmm. Just to throw a wrench in the works in the narrative of, a, yes, go west, go to a cabin, go to the woods, run to the woods and isolate and you'll be fine. And I'm like, eh. Yeah. I know. Because yeah. like, no. well, we don't have Billy's support fully. You know, <laughs> I don't know. I think that's kind of a good excuse to, you know, not. I love the podcast in the woods, though. That sounds awesome. I like that, too. And I think there's content around it that could, you know, sustain you and it could be fun. But I wonder what the experiment, you know, being socialized, yeah, you know, being more socialized in order to make those adjustments, what would come? What I loved is that your ability for discipline and self-correction, you're really extraordinary. And it's very rare. It's a great attribute. What you did during COVID, losing 60 pounds, are you kidding me? Which tells me you're a rare, disciplined, unique, incredible guy and an asset to a community, which is why I think putting you in a cabin in the woods is a slight waste to society because we need more people <laughs> like you, you know, as yeah. like you're a pretty awesome. Yeah, and I think you, if it would be recognized by others who could really benefit from your leadership and guidance and example. He's badass. To put him in a cabin in the woods is kind of a waste. Maybe there's both, though, you know? There is both. And the answer is don't choose, which is kind of where I was going to get to. I also think if you love horror, you should go. Have you ever been to these horror cons? You know, um, I actually was planning on going this year. There's a really popular one in Texas. I might actually head down there and just try and get out. They're all over the country. Every weekend. Billy, how do you know about all this? I've done a crazy horror movie. I've started doing these Comic-Cons and these horror cons. I was like, all right, I'll try it. And I've said no for years. And I've just recently been like, nah, let me do it. In the last year, maybe just before COVID, I love it. Why? We never get to interact with fans on the whole. You know, I've been lucky to have been doing this crazy job for 30 something years. And a few of the movies resonate with people, but they grew up with them. Yeah. And I don't know the impact Back to the Future had. I was like an extra in that film. But for whatever reason, that or The Phantom or whatever, people are like, you don't understand this was so significant for me because of X. It's, it's important to connect with people. I love the humanity of that. And I also like the green room because you meet people like Anna yeah. who you'd never get a chance to. And you're like, oh my God, you know, people you've adored and you go to dinner in unique places. And they're always in cities that you have no idea are incredibly foodie. I see parts of the country I've never saw before because there's incredible artisanal craft. They can afford to open restaurants and businesses. Anyway, you eat really well. You meet really cool people. I kind of love them. But the horror cons, I go because of this Tales from the Crypt movie I did. They, I they, it's yeah. like crack for horror fans. Yeah. They love it. Yeah. I like Demon Knight. I don't know. Yeah. So I go. And the horror community, can I just say, I'm not a big horror fan. The community around horror... They're some of the sweetest people around. 
yet love the macabre. They love the undead. There's families there because dad likes to dress up like a zombie and they're all in support of dad. (laughs) You'll meet really cool girls at the horror con. If that's what you love, you'll meet really good friends at the horror con. You will find community with your people. If that's your jam, dude, travel the country before you pick to move anywhere. Go meet some people at these conventions because you'll find an affinity and you'll meet authors. You'll meet people for the podcast. You'll meet possible collaborators. There's all sorts of creative energy. Billy, what great advice. Yeah. And community there. Before you pick a place to live, you might have a pivot. You have the ability to go be surprised. Hmm, interesting. Yeah. For a control freak, one of your lessons is yeah. go with the mission of being able to pivot. Hmm. Pick three cities, follow three cons, fly in, stay the weekend, or drive them. Map a road trip, to Anna's earlier point, get a road trip on, go with a buddy, And go, you know what, we're going to go to like Indianapolis, Kentucky, and Texas, whatever it is. Plan a trip and be prepared for wonder. Be prepared for the unexpected. But you have the cushion where you're not diverting from the plan because the plan is to be surprised. And the plan is to be open and engage. Right. And from there, decide a life direction. Going from this rigid choice to this absolute choice, yep. you're going to miss a lot in the middle. Ah, uh, okay. And it might be a pivot around romance or collaboration. Like, who knows what's going to happen in between A and B? Don't rush to B. I love this. Right. You got A plus, A minus, A, you know. Damn. I really, really appreciate that. And I love that, Billy. This is exciting. And something tells me, uh, this is a totally weird thing, but I've been wanting to say it from the beginning. I love your haircut. Thank you. <laughs> and I think it's really cool. And I think if you did one simple, crazy thing, uh, trust me, if you change up the style for a bit of the eccentric, right? Mm. I know you're down on yourself because you don't think you're whatever. Classically handsome, nonsense. You're dynamic. You're very attractive. Totally. And because you have this beautiful character face, I would do one thing. Dress for success. Dress like you've arrived. And do one crazy thing if you're game. And I guarantee it will change the approach of who approaches you. One crazy thing. And I know it may seem strange. Mm. I say pencil thin mustache. Ooh, there we go. You'll get like all Adrian Brody love (laughs) in the world. You do. Think British punk band. (laughs) I gotcha. If you're going to go rock and roll, dress like The Clash or Savile Row kind of cool hepcat. Dress like a chap. There's a great magazine you'll love. I did a cover for it. It's out of Britain called The Chap. And it's like Peaky Blinders on acid. It's just like, it's super kind of gent. You've got that British kind of Mm -hmm. look about you, a bit of a punk kind of dynamic. Lean into your strengths, amigo, and do something crazy with that beautiful nose and put a little mustache under it. And I guarantee you're going to be pulling more women in five minutes. They may be covered in fake blood. <laughs> but hell yeah, that's what hell we need. Hell yeah, dude. But what's nice about Billy's suggestion is that you're not putting the pressure on yourself, like he said, to make an extreme decision where you have a lot of sort of pressure on yourself to kind of make it work or expectation. Do you think you could take like a month? I don't know what your job situation is like. 
right now, um, my job is a little bit stressful, but you know, I just do things on the side of just, you know, just trying to plan out what I'm going to do in the next month and just try to plan day by day. Maybe today you can look into where some of these conventions are. Oh, yeah. That are, you know, potentially upcoming. And they're on weekends. If you're working during the week, all you got to do is leave Friday night. They start on Friday nights. They finish on Sunday. You'd be back home. You go and you check into whatever convention center, hotel, Google best restaurants in whatever. You're going to fall in love, Adam. Yeah. You're going to fall in love. I feel like people are always falling in love at those things. Yeah, yeah. I know, right? <laughs> Go have fun without the pressure. You know, to Anna's point, it's like it takes the pressure off. Adam, I'm so thrilled for you that you're approaching this like whole thing with gusto, that you're a fundamentally awesome person. Yeah, man. I feel excited and it's ready to get life started. Good. It's time to get out of Go see bit. the world a little bit, you know? Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. I appreciate you guys so much. You guys made my day and, you know, I'm going to really going to really have an interesting thing down myself tonight. (laughs) Do a little uh, internet research, figure out some travel times, when you can go. Be proactive about something every day with this. A new month and a new year and a new me. Yeah. And good for you. Thank you. It's been a pleasure with you guys. Thank you for sharing, Adam. Have a great day, guys. Bye, Adam. Thanks so much. Take care, guys. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Billy, what fantastic advice. He had it all. In the first five minutes, he had his own answer. That's the thing. People tell you, but you were smart to ask. I have to say, as soon as you were like, where did you go to school? You know, give me the basics. And then he just opened up. I just listened. And then I went to my jam, which is hit the whiteboard. I just saw this circle of these things. I was going, right, connect those dots. And your answer is everything you want, just film it, (laughs) you know, turn on the camera. You gave very practical advice. I've found that a lot of people are putting pressure on themselves to make a life decision now, an important decision. Like, what should I do now? I just don't know if life fully works like that. Okay, now we are going to talk with Ariana. Hi, Ariana. Hi. Ariana, thank you so much for your letter. Will you tell us what's going on? So I've been seeing this guy for the past like five months now. Everything was going well until probably like the start around Thanksgiving and stuff, like the holiday season. And he started having issues with depression and stuff. And he couldn't really, you know, bring himself to be able to see me and stuff. And for me, I'm just now like wondering what I should do going forward. And I'm also looking at like my past relationship and he also had issues with traumatic past. So can we go back a little bit? Will you tell us about the 
breakup before your current boyfriend? Yes. So me and my ex were dating for about seven years and we broke up like right in the beginning of quarantine and everything, which it was a good thing. It was mutual breakup, mutual until I found out after the fact that he had been cheating on me for two months prior to that. But it was all for the best. I was definitely happy to be out of that relationship. How did you find out? Do you mind my asking? My neighbor. We lived together and our neighbor, he was friends with him as well. And I think like the day he had finished packing his stuff and moving out, I had saw my neighbor and he was like, oh, I couldn't believe that he was at my house crying and saying, you know, how sad this was. And then he posts on Facebook that he's in a relationship. (laughs) I was like, okay. Does it make you reflect on the breakup a little differently? I mean, you described it as mutual, but does it make you feel like he had been kind of pushing you away, forcing your hand, as I call it? Yeah, I definitely felt the distance, like from, I can honestly probably tell you the moment he started seeing someone else because I felt it in the relationship and we weren't talking as much and you could feel it was different, you know? But it was also, I was wondering a lot of the time in the relationship, like, oh, is this somebody that can I see past these things? Can I keep dealing with this, these issues? Like, am I okay with that? Is this a repeated pattern? Is that what you were saying? That this is something that has happened before? Well, I would say a repeated pattern of I tend to give men excuses for like, oh, like justifying the reasons like, oh, they've been through this. So that's why they're acting like this or kind of allowing their behavior by justifying it, like, you know, with their issues. That's a survival mechanism and nothing to be down on yourself for. I think, you know, if you really peel it back, I think we have these mechanisms that I'm a great rationalizer. I can rationalize anything and I don't know why. I feel like it's a fail safe. It's just part of our makeup that we do. When we break up, we tend to remember only the good in a weird way. And then we think we miss someone because of all those good things. And it's a very strange thing. It's just how we're wired. I think we're inherently forgiving. I think we're empathetic. There's something about our nature, but we're also promiscuous by nature. I think that's a real tricky one. And some people act on it, some people don't. So, you know, you mentioned two of the big hallmarks, which is like, you know, mental health issues, which now that more and more people are acknowledging, or at least, you know, pharma's diagnosing, and infidelity. I just felt those are very common issues, right? I once learned that from a clinical psychologist who I had met, who had worked with the government working with PTSD, she considers it anything less than nurture to be trauma. Interesting. That is a really interesting idea. Which means line up. I'm like, you know, who's first to like, okay. Yeah. So if that's the case, you kind of forgive everybody. Now, what they're doing about it, if it's an excuse that they're using because they just simply want to move on or they're doing whatever, I don't know. Ariana, when did you meet your current boyfriend? I think you said five months ago. Yeah. Yeah. And because of his issues, he will kind of hold up. Is that right? Like not see you for a few days? Yeah, well, for the first, you know, like four months of it, of it, everything was great. I mean, he was open about his issues and he does have like PTSD and therapy and stuff, which I thought was great because I was like, oh, good. It's someone, my ex did not deal with his issues at all. So I was happy to be dating someone that was. And then it just kind of started like around the holidays. So we were supposed to hang out and then it was, you know, I just can't get myself off the couch. I'm just really depressed right now. I'm just going through this. And then just less and less of like trying to get any response out of it. When things were happy or like when you guys do get to spend time together, what is your happiness level? I mean, these are things I think to explore a little bit. 
Will you tell us a little bit about that? Like, do you feel happy? Does he make you feel good? Was this a relationship out of loneliness? For me, I was very happy. It was a very different relationship than what I had been used to as far as like being interested in the same things, doing projects together and stuff like that. You know, I think we just got along really well and I was very happy. And up until he started having these issues, then it started bringing up stuff for me. Like, you know, you're dealing with depression and you can't get off the couch and all this, but I can't help but think like, oh, is that me? And you don't, you just don't want to see me, you know? And it's hard for me to find that balance of like not feeling like it's my fault. Yeah, my feelings would be hurt. Maybe irrationally, I don't know. Billy, what do you think? One, you shouldn't think it's you. even if. He is bored and can't admit it, right? It has nothing to do with you. It's just, it's like the, it's not you, it's me dynamic, whatever it is. If something played out, if it's just an excuse, if it's the thing you fear, which is he's just not interested anymore and he's using this as an excuse or it's genuine. The question is, can you create the space to find out the truth whereby it's a safe space for him to be able to voice it? So one, you're not questioning yourself. I believe you could do a few things. You can move on gracefully together. You could move on gracefully apart. You can help him continue with his process, but only from a foundation of safety and truth, right? And that'll be part of his reparation and journey, even if it's about being honest with you. And part of that answer might simply be, it's not rocket science. I'm bored and I want something else and I'm not strong enough to tell you that I am because I feel bad because I don't want to hurt your feelings. I'm using my trauma as an excuse to kind of not be available to you. That could be one horrible option. <laughs> horrible because it hurts for you to hear, right? But it exists and it could exist. Now I'll put that over there. The other version is he's going through stuff and everything he's saying is absolutely genuine and it's nice that you're there for him. I think there's a third option. I'm not sure really what it is, but I think what's important is to create the space where there's no doubt. And if he can feel safe enough to tell you, if he hasn't already, the truth without fear of reprimand or insecurity or further hurt, you will actually be building a deeper bond with him because he'll feel that you're really there for him. It'll help you to some level of attachment and detachment, which will allow for you to really know that you're helping him or really know that there's nothing you can do and you should probably, you know. Yeah. It's a little bit rip the bandaid, but I'm trying to get to the heart of like safe space and truth, you know. From there, you can know what to do next. Ariana, before the last two weeks, were you the proactive member in the relationship? Did you tend to like plan the dates? How did that dynamic work? Um, it was pretty equal because we would talk every day. It wasn't just me texting him. Hey, how was your day? It was the balance between that and a balance between like, oh, let's hang out. Let's go do something. I would say it was pretty equal. I have had two long-term relationships with men who suffered from depression. And I found it eventually a huge relief when the relationship was finally over. I did not realize what I had taken on in terms of my foolish attempt to make other people happy. And I was exhausted. I remember thinking it felt like somebody took a 200-pound backpack off of my shoulders. This wasn't my responsibility anymore. And those years of trying to make somebody happy didn't work, you know? 
So that's just sort of food for thought as you guys kind of sort this out a little bit, I think. But if Billy and I, and I'm not saying that we are, told you that you should probably break up with him, how does that resonate in your gut? I mean, it's kind of what I've been leaning towards as far as what I should do is at least just to like, hey, you take your space, you know, figure out what you need to figure out. And if we revisit this in the future, then great. And not, then I need to move on because it's not good for me and my mental health. That triggers me. Yeah, that's kind. It's respectful. It sounds like it's consistent with what he's wanting. You're not breaking up. You're just going, do you right now? You're not responsible for the man's happiness. You can try, but if he's going through some process that requires him to take the space he seems to keep claiming he needs, then give it to him. In the process, be open to be enchanted and open your journey. And maybe on the next <laughs> interview cycle, he just be really clear about, you know, like if they're undergoing something. There's a lot of people who are suffering and it's important to feel that empathy. It's important to be there for folks as well as yourself. And it's not to say you can't have a very enriching dynamic and relationship with someone undergoing these issues, you know, but it sounds like you need a bit of a break. And I don't get the sense, Ariana, correct me if I'm wrong, that he's making you feel safe and that he's considerate about this. Like if you were to say to us, he sent me flowers. I know he can't get out of bed. He's really apologetic. He's really, you know, that's a little bit of a different story, I think, but it sounds like it's depression combined with selfishness. That was how I felt with him up until this behavior started happening. And it's just hard for me to try to figure out where the line is of like being understanding of someone's situation and standing up for like how I deserve to be treated. I feel like, Billy, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that you sort of clocked early the idea that he makes her feel kind of crummy. I mean, personally, who are we to tell you to break up with someone? Ariana, I don't know. It's not my, (laughs) I, I can't begin to give that advice. For that, I am truly unqualified. However, I think your own advice you gave yourself was the most sound, which is simply, you're just echoing what sounds like is being requested, which is space. And do it from a space that's not filled with absolutes. Go, all right, you want space. You're not as available for me right now, but you need this for what you're going through. You got it. You don't need to put conditions on it. You don't need to make big definitions or grandstand statements. But if in your heart, you know that you're okay with how this might play out, either version is your future. And that can be always what you make it. This feels like a protecting your heart situation, you know? Ariana, I don't want you to feel bad. We all will at some points during any relationship. Of course, that's inevitable. But if you feel bad much more frequently than you feel good, listen to that. I wasted time not listening to that. My life lesson advice would just simply be, it's really, really hard to make somebody else happy. It takes a lot of work and I didn't succeed at it. Can I ask one question? You wrote a letter to the show. What's the thesis question? What's the ask? How do you know where to draw the line between being empathetic and setting boundaries? It's very informative what you just said, right? Like if you say it again, so I can hear it, not just for you, but where do you draw the line between being empathetic and establishing your boundaries? Now, I'm going to ask you, if you were to answer that question, what would you say? 
Um, if I was giving somebody else advice on a situation, I would probably say kind of like what Anna said of once you start feeling worse and feeling bad more often than you're feeling happy when there's not a balance there. It's a ratio, right? And there's times where you can totally give all of yourself over to somebody. But again, then time is a factor. Right. So how long are you doing that for? There's times where I can give all of myself. Mm-hmm. How often are you doing that? How long is that demand? Is that expected? Is that repetitive, right? So you start to look at the ratio of you to your partner and how frequently are you compromising your real estate on the you journey. And if you can put that metric together in your mind or at least write it down and really look at it and clock the last months, but watch the behavior and look at the ratio of your time, his time, and how frequent. And at that point, you'll be able to see it in black and white and make a step. Who says that life is about making sure you are taking all the time for you? People are defined by service. People are identify with giving. But if you feel like you are feeling underserved by it and you're undermining your journey and your experience, then take stock and review and consider options. But that's my advice. Yeah, that makes sense. You know, maybe today or in the next few days, if you want to, maybe you just send him a text saying, Hey, I'm thinking about you. Please let me know if there's anything I can help with. Mm, great. That way you can start to assess, just like Billy is saying, of not putting the pressure on yourself to make a grand decision about anything. You have a very clear sense of self and self-worth. And it's more like law of averages, like, oh, well, this may have just been an assumption. But again, there's room for surprise. Life's full of variety and shift and change. There are no constants. So it's not a question of when am I going to leave this one? And oh, yeah, I tried. You may be pleasantly surprised, but it requires the detachment and preparation of being able to pivot and be okay with it, which you seem to be. I don't know. You may be pleasantly surprised. He may come out of the funk. It may be cyclical and it's simply something you learn to live with. He sees it coming. You see it coming. He goes to the cave. You go, I got it. Totally. (laughs) We move camp. We have to be a little understanding of our primal selves. I think we expect too much of modern man and woman. We cannot forget we're gorillas with car keys, you know. (laughs) Ariana, does it make you feel relieved if the takeaway from this is to wait to make a decision? Yeah, absolutely. Especially like, I think that's the right move and I appreciate both your advice and I definitely will take it because I think that's right. I think most people that I, of my friends or coworkers or anything like that, I talk to about it. They're just automatically like, I'll leave him because if you know someone and you love them and care about them, you don't know who their partner is. It's easy to say, you know, I'll leave them, you know. Totally. And that's why I think the gauging of your feelings I think that's an important idea for you in this situation. Feelings are deceptive. I'm going to interject here. Really? God damn it. Damn it. I'm bringing my my scissors in. Those are just your feelings. (laughs) It's true, though. You're right. Will you elaborate? As the Buddhist said, feelings, schmealings. It's about your time and your energy. Make that the metric. How you feel is so susceptible to like so many conditions. You're right. You can't gauge accurately with the feelings. Time and energy, these are measurable metrics. These are real. Then the question is, how do you feel about that? How do you feel about the ratio of what you're giving and what you're getting? And then make a decision based upon if you're okay with it, carry on. You're rocking it. It's great. You feel a little underserved? You want to change it up? 
next victim. That's it. I love that. Ariana, do you have ideas to sort of chew on? Absolutely. And I, I like the variation in your guys' advice too. I think, don't worry, you're not too uh, too blunt or too you know hard. I think it was it's a good balance and gives me somewhere in the in-between. Good. Ariana, I can't thank you enough. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Bye, Ariana. Billy, you are just phenomenal. Who's talking? I admire you've clearly been doing this a while. And from the get-go, your bedside manner, your questions, it seems like you've been really studying your capacity for just analysis and bedtime care. And I'm laughing at myself because I'm like counterpoint. I'm like Johnny Tough Love. I'm over here in my little black turtle ignoring like, fuck it, no, man, do this. And you're like, so tell me, how was it? How long? I'm like, oh God, I'm so rough. I'm a little harsh. No, you are fantastic. You're not- A little brutal. It's so yin-yang here. Billy, this has just been such a pleasure. I'm so excited for MacGruber. Thank you. Your advice was so great. Oh, thank you. Truly. I cannot thank you enough for your time, your kindness, your patience. Oh, sweet. Everything. I so appreciate it. Thank you. I had a lovely time. Much love. Thank you, dear. Thank you.